0: Let's pray uh, before we look at our text. Father in heaven, uh, we need so much more than a clear message for a relevant message, even much more than a biblical message. What we need tonight is a message from you by the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, would you uh, meet your word through your spirit and cause transformation to happen in our lives so that we might resemble you more in your glory and might be fuller in the earth. Oh, Lord, do this, we ask even now in these moments. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, this past uh, summer, uh, I went to Disney. And I've got to prep you. Who, who's, been, who's not been to Disney? Let's raise your hands if you've not been to Disney. Plenty of you. All right, here's what you need to know. Uh, when you go to Disney, I, I could get, I could give you a lot of uh, things to prep you for. But the big thing uh, is visually what happens when you go to Disney. Uh, what happens is you get on I-4, Interstate 4, and you go towards Tampa, you go west, and you start seeing signs for Disney, but you don't see anything that even remotely says Disney other than signs. You see these signs, finally you see the exit you're supposed to get off on. You get off on the exit, you still don't see anything remotely Disney. We go uh, to the Magic Kingdom, you know, the best part, the part with Cinderella's castle. There's, you know, there's several parts. Again, if you've not been to Disney, I didn't know as far I went to Disney. There are several parks within Disney. One of them is Magic Kingdom with the, with the, with the castle. So I'm expecting to see this castle, especially after our, we paid $22 for parking. And I'm thinking, gosh, there's gotta be the castle around here somewhere. Well, we go and we park in the parking spot, our $22 parking spot, uh, and I still don't see the castle. I know where the entrance is, so I walk towards the entrance, and while I'm walking towards this entrance, I find out, golly, i got to ride on a ferry, i got to ride on this dumb boat to get over to the actual park, and then I finally see the castle. I get in the boat, I take the ferry across the water, uh, the ferry docks, I get off, I still have to walk forever to get into the park, all before I see the castle especially firsthand like where I could touch the castle a long way it's a long way from I4 to that castle but imagine how silly it would have been if I said you know what I'm gonna stay right here uh, in the car Uh, I'm I'm on Disney property I'm at Disney Uh, I've heard lots of people tell me what Disney is like and that's gonna be enough for me how silly would that be I'm right at the edge of this glorious experience it would be like going to New York City you're ready to go to Manhattan you get to LaGuardia, you get to JFK, the airport's there in New York, and you say, you know what, I'm going to stay here instead of going into Manhattan. How silly would that be? Imagine going to Rupp. You're going to, to the game. You're seeing the squad that's going to win the national championship. And you say, you know what, I, I would prefer to stay out here in the concourse and sip on Diet Coke. That would be really silly. You're right on the edge of something glorious. Well, I think that's the way a lot of us treat Jesus. That's what our experience is like in a human sense. We get really close to Jesus. We get around the church. We spend time with Christians, but we never dive into the gospel ourselves. We stay out there on the edges, out there in the parking lot, out there in the concourse, and in the airport. And we begin to settle on the edges for explanations. Explanations of those who have gone in, and they've seen the gospel for themselves, and they've come back out to tell us about it, and we say, no thanks. Well, this is our dynamic today. Because remember, in Acts chapter 2, these people, this huge crowd of people that come to Jerusalem, this crowd of Jews that come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost as a Jew, they see this miracle where people start speaking languages they've never heard. Some are perplexed. Some are mocking them. And in the midst of this mocking, in the midst of these questions, Peter stands up. And it says, you don't have to sit in the parking lot anymore. You don't have to sit in the concourse or in the airport. You can enter into this yourself. But in order to do that, he has to explain a miracle. And he explains the miracle in verses 22 uh, through 36, 37. And then he um, invites them into the miracle. He offers them an invitation into the miracle in verses 38 through 41. But first, uh, I'm skipping a chunk here. I'm skipping uh, 14, uh, to 40, to 14 to 21. And 14 to 21, when he, when he says, hey, uh, he looks at the mockers first. He says, hey, these people aren't drunk. That, that, that's not the reason that, that they're speaking these languages. It's only 9 in the morning. That's literally what he says. But then he looks at everybody else who has questions, those who are like, oh, they're, they're somewhat amazed, somewhat perplexed. And he says, hey, what you guys just saw is the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. And that's what we see there. And in Joel chapter 2, uh, Joel was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he foresaw a day when God's Spirit would be poured out on men and women, on rich and poor, on young and old. And by prophesy, it, that's, what would, that, that's what the pouring out of the Spirit would enable them to do. It wasn't so much forthtelling, telling about the future. That's what we usually think prophesying is about. But it was about, it was about forthtelling. Not foretelling, but forth telling. Them them just telling them the mighty acts of God, the, 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 the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. That's what they were telling them about. That's what the Spirit empowered them to do. But the best way for these devout Jews who've come to celebrate Pentecost and they've witnessed these miracles, the best way for them to experience this miracle is not the languages. But it's to see the real cause of where the languages came from. Because where the languages came from was the resurrected and now ascended Jesus. And so Peter chooses now to take this opportunity, starting in verse 22, to talk about Jesus. So let's read uh, verses 22 through 41 together. Men of Israel, hear these words. You see Peter just stand bolt. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now he quits quoting it and here's what he says. Verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died, and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Why does he mention David? Well, because David wrote Psalm 16. And he's trying to say, hey, this psalm is not about David like you think it is. Listen, verse 30, "...being therefore a prophet," meaning David, "...and knowing that God had sworn with an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption." And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The word of the Lord. Now notice what he did in verse 22. Starting in verse 22, you, go all, you can go all the way down through verse 35. He's talking to you about Jesus. Verse 22. It's about Jesus' life, about his the wonders he had done, the signs and his mighty works. That's Jesus' life. Then verse 23, Peter's talking about his death. And then verse 24 through 32, uh, Peter's spending the majority of his time talking about his resurrection. And in verse 24, he says something that I heard a couple of you really got into. Verse 24. He says, um, essentially, he says, it would be as impossible for Jesus to remain in the grave as it would be for an in utero baby to not be born. Just as children were meant to be born and live their life, they're not made to be in gestation forever. In the same way, God is meant to live, not to remain dead in a grave. And so Peter quotes Psalm 16 and quotes it at length. And he goes on to explain it. And we just read that. And David is referring to himself throughout this whole psalm with the first person pronoun. You see I and my over and over and over again. But there's one part that can't be about David, and that's what Peter draws out. Peter, or, Peter, or Peter's quoting David in Psalm 16. He says, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Another word for corruption is decay. It's talking about his physical body. So it can't be about David because David's body decayed. Therefore, David can't be the Holy One. But Jesus' body did not decay. Jesus rose again from the grave. You could go to David's grave. You could dig up his bones. and, and But you, if you went to Jesus' grave, you wouldn't find anything. Because God fulfilled Psalm 16 in His Son, Jesus Christ. So he's talked about his life, he's talked about his death, he's talked about his resurrection, and he keeps going. He talks about his ascension in verses 33 through 35. Doesn't this sound like an amazing person? The kind of life that Jesus lived. I mean, did, I mean, look at verse 22. He did mighty works, wonders, and signs. A biography about his life would be beautiful. And then it talks about his death. His death is totally unique. And talks about his resurrection, that he conquered death, and then the guy went into heaven. I know this might sound familiar to you, but don't let the familiarity rob you of the wonder. Uh, Before I became a pastor uh, here uh, with with this church, um, I worked for a nonprofit called Young Life. Uh, Young Life is is an outreach to unchurched uh, adolescence. It seeks to share Jesus with kids who are disinterested in the Church and the Christian faith. And its founder, uh, Jim Rayburn, he founded Young Life back in the 40's. He was quite the character. He was a nut. And there are lots and lots and lots of wild stories about Jim Rayburn that you hear about. He's like, he's like a cult legend if you go on staff. I always feel like all my training was about uh, was about listening to Jim Rayburn stories. But one of my favorite Jim Rayburn stories was he was uh, literally days from death. Uh, there were 700 people on staff at the time of his death. And he delivers one final speech. And in this speech, here's what he says He says, Young life is about Jesus Christ. Don't you forget it. That's not just what we are about, it's all we are about. Because he wanted these people to be crystal clear that young life's not about kids. It's not about camp properties. It's not about ministry techniques. It's about Jesus and him alone. I hope the same is true for our church. For all the distractions of the church. The church really is all about the person of Jesus. And why wouldn't it be? Because Jesus was creator of the universe. Everything was made through him. Everything is held together by him. This man, Jesus Christ... He was conceived miraculously. He was born in a barn. He mesmerized teachers at the age of 12 by his knowledge and his understanding of the scriptures. And as he grew up, he attracted crowds. He performed miracles. He dealt tenderly with hurting people. He raised the dead and he forgave sin. Who does that? Jesus then the whole world turned on him, even his best friends. They had him arrested. They had him put on trial. He was crucified. He died the death of a criminal, even though he was perfect. Who does that? Jesus. And then after three days, he was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven after appearing to hundreds of people over the course of 40 days. Who does that? Jesus. The most amazing person who's ever lived. And you know who killed him? Me and you. You see what Peter does right there in verse 36? (laughs) He just talked about Jesus for 14, 15 verses straight. About how glorious and amazing he is as a person. And then he says, and you killed him. See, Jesus wasn't murdered by the Romans. He didn't suffer because the Jews didn't get it. He did not hang on a cross because God had lost control for a moment. No, 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 no. Jesus chose to die for our sins. If our sin had not existed, then there wouldn't be any need to shed innocent blood. But the wages of sin is death. And Jesus absorbed your sin and mine in order to pay it. See, uh, until you see that Jesus on the cross became the angry person that you are, your anger will persist. Until you see your sexual perversion made Jesus a pervert on the cross, your sexual immorality will be something you continue to battle with. Until you see your greed made Jesus a thief, then you will continue to hoard your money. You'll continue to spend it all on yourself and live above your means. See, you and I, we sit in the very same place as Peter's audience because we too crucified Jesus, who is both Lord and Christ. See, this is the explanation of the miracle. He talks a whole lot about Jesus and a little bit about the Spirit. The fulfillment of Joel's prophecy really was a miracle, but the real miracle is that the most fascinating person who's ever lived was killed by his enemies, and now he offers them an invitation. Verse thirty-seven. That's the most amazing miracle in this whole deal, is that he offers this invitation to you and me. See, Peter's sermon had an effect. His sermon didn't just uh, d- didn't just interpret the speaking uh, in, in different languages. His sermon actually caused something else to happen. Do you see that something else verse 37? Verse 37 says they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. They they made this shattering discovery that they were a lot worse off than they ever imagined. They realized for the first time how foolish and stubborn they had been towards this most fascinating person, Jesus. And so they asked that question. Do you see it? What shall we do? That's what every preacher hopes. People ask, what shall we do? See, their conviction, it's so overwhelming. It's like their conscience twisted behind their back and they're just begging for mercy. They're asking for some relief. And so Peter gives it to them. Do you see it? In verse 38, he gives them two conditions. If they want relief, he says, repent, and be baptized. These conditions are spiritual in nature. They're not social. See, if they were social in nature, if, if the conditions of entering into the, entering into the kingdom are social, we're all in big trouble. But that's what Joel 2 takes off the table. Because it's no matter your gender, no matter your social status, no matter your age, this Jesus is for you as long as you repent and are baptized. And these two words, repentance and baptized, repentance is what happens on the inside. It's the inward change that must happen. And baptism is the outward expression of that change. So both these words, repentance and baptism, they're pretty churchy. And they need some explanation. So let's start with repentance. Um, repentance is, is the change of direction in a person's life. It's, it's a lot more than a mental change of attitude. It's more than admitting your sin. It's more than just feeling, a bad, feeling bad about who you are or what you did. It's much more than that. Listen to this quote, Charles Spurgeon, 19th century Baptist preacher. He said, Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, and a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. I think a great picture of this is in Zootopia. It's a great movie. There's a scene in the movie uh, that gives us a good window uh, into true repentance. Uh, You've got two main characters. You have Nick and Judy. Uh, Nick uh, is a fox and Judy is a bunny. And in this uh, city, Zootopia, uh, it's a utopia of animals. Or at least that's what it looks like. That's what it's thought to be. But what you find out in the movie is that this utopian society is upended. And it's upended because there's this uprising that occurs from the prey. See, there's two kinds of animals that they want you to think are, that exist in Zootopia. There's the prey and the predators. And the prey outnumber the predators ten to one. The prey are afraid of the predators, so they have this uprising to get rid of these predators, to do something about them so that it's just them. And Judy and Nick, uh, Judy being, uh, being a bunny and Nick being a fox, one's prey, one's predator, They become deep friends and they want to showcase uh, their friendship, their partnership to this whole city. They want to showcase it to say, hey, there doesn't need to be this division of prey and predators and it actually works. Their friendship becomes something that everyone's talking about to the degree that there's a media interview. And Judy is talking about their friendship. And while she's talking about it, she unintentionally says something very hurtful about the savage natures of predators. Well, guess who takes an offense? Her friend, Nick, the fox, and crushes him. He's so hurt that Judy says this that he walks out and he says, we can't be friends anymore. And after some days passed, uh, Judy comes after Nick and she apologizes. She comes to him and she's weeping, crying. And here's what she says. She says, I know you won't forgive me. I wouldn't forgive me either. I'm ignorant, irresponsible, and small-minded. I was a horrible friend, and I hurt you. You can walk away knowing that you're right. I really am just a dumb bunny. Here's what I love about Judy. She saw her offense. She was sorry. She confessed it. She felt shame for what she did. She hated it, and she sought to be different moving forward. Friends, that's true repentance. But then there's this outer condition, this baptism. Baptism wasn't new to those who are Jesus' disciples because John the Baptist, who came before Jesus, he came baptizing. Jesus himself was baptized. And now this early church, they're picking up on this practice to show that this baptism is now the mark of being inside the community of God. It's a sign that someone has believed the gospel, someone's repented of their sins. But don't press this too hard. Don't press it to say that baptism is what saves you. That's against the whole genius of the gospel. Because an outward expression can only have value to the extent that is accompanied by the work of grace within. That's baptism. And you see what happens when you meet these two spiritual conditions? Do you see the gifts? The gifts are the forgiveness of sins and the receiving of the Holy Spirit forgiving of sins. Isn't this incredible? Peter is offering the forgiveness to sins to people that he just said, you crucified Jesus. I think these people were shocked because they began to see, just like we need to see, that we were once his enemies and now God is willing to make sinners his friends. He's saying that the forgiveness of sins, it wipes away our past. I know it's hard to believe that God really has forgotten your sins, but he really has cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. So why won't you forget them? Why do you continue to attempt to crucify yourself for what you've done? Because every time you do, the guilt of your sin just crucifies Jesus over again. It's an abomination to him. His sacrifice was enough to atone for your real sin so that your real conscience could be clear to The forgiveness of sins, what a gift. Then you get the Holy Spirit. He also, the Holy Spirit, uh, remember, the Holy Spirit came down on the apostles. It came down on the 120. Those who waited there 10 days. But you don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be related to Jesus. You don't have to pray for 10 days straight to get the Holy Spirit. It wasn't for an elitist group. It wasn't for a particular nation. It wasn't for a particular generation. There are no limitations on who can receive the Spirit as long as you repent, you're baptized. And the Spirit begins to transform your relationship with God. You begin to see that the Spirit has blown on you and brought you from death to life. The Spirit begins to bring the saving benefits of Jesus to your heart. And the Spirit is who makes you new moving forward. If forgiveness of sin wipes away your past, the Spirit is what propels you forward into a new community, a new life, and a new mission. And you see what happened to these people. They received the Holy Spirit, and they received the forgiveness of sin in verse 41. So now the early church goes from 120 people to 3,120 people. And it brings for us the question, have you received this word? Have you received the word? Remember who he's talking to here. He's talking to card-carrying Jews. These people were religious. They are pro-church. They'd come from far and wide to celebrate this religious festival. In other words, they're doing a lot of stuff for God, but they didn't get it. They weren't atheists. They weren't pagans. They knew their Bibles, but their faith was Jesusless. How about you? Is your faith Jesusless? Have you ever really thought of yourself as the one who killed Jesus? Have you ever really seen that Jesus became sin on your behalf? Have these realizations ever caused you to repent, not just to say you're sorry so you don't have to go to hell, but repent? See, many of us, were deceived in our assurance of salvation because we've placed our faith in a culture of Christianity that's masked by morality, the knowledge of Christian things, and by the church. But the reality is that we're in the same position as Peter's hearers. We still need to repent. Friends, today could be the day of salvation for you. Repent and be baptized so that you will receive the forgiveness of sins in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you want to make sinners your friends. (laughs) Oh, Lord, I pray uh, for those who are cut to the heart. Uh, Lord, when you draw them to faith, breathe your life on them. They might receive the forgiveness of sins and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.